The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. There is one series of documents that totally destroys the climate scare. It is as vast as the UN IPCC reports, but far more honest and comprehensive. It, it cites thousands of peer-reviewed scientific references published in the world's leading journals, and it clearly shows that today's climate is not unusual and the evidence for future climate calamity is very weak. Furthermore, these reports demonstrate that our use of fossil fuels have been an enormous benefit to human health and prosperity, as well as to the natural world. Yet because mainstream media hide it from the public, few Americans even know it exists, let alone that it is unquestionably the most important set of documents ever published on the climate scare. It is called the Climate Change Reconsidered series of reports, and I'm thrilled that we're gonna be able to give it very broad coverage indeed in today's program. Jay, which is the organization that published these amazing reports? It's the Heartland Institute that many, many years ago decided to collect data, information, factual material from uh, scientists around the world and compile it in thousand page documents with paper after paper after paper supporting the factual information, pointing out that. Uh, there, there has never been uh, a disaster on the horizon uh, that man has in no way created uh, problems for life on Earth, but in fact, exactly the opposite. And uh, the Harl Institute has never received the credit that they should for doing this phenomenal work. They reached out to uh, hundreds of scientists all over the world to write articles about every tiny facet of climate that would be available for the public to read and, and understand what was going on instead of the lies put forth by the United Nations. Uh, the UN climate reports have been going on for a couple of decades, and they're just full of lie after lie after lie, the point at which is to scare the public. And all these uh, UNICP reports have successfully done all that, and they get the, uh, the credit for writing these lies. And the public, unfortunately, believes them. The reach of the Harlan Institute is not near what it could or should be for the public to, to grasp what they've uh, They've written, but yeah. if, if you were to ask anybody literally on the face of the earth, 
what organization in the world has been most active in uh, explaining what the real climate is all about. Virtually everybody would say uh, it's the Heartland Institute. They are truly the unsung hero. Uh, Under the direction of Joe Bass, they started writing these voluminous reports and uh, they maintain their presence as on top of the heap of for truth in climate. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things I like about the reports, Jay, is that they have a summary at the beginning of each chapter. So for the layperson, if you don't want to get into all the details, you can just read the summary. And often when I'm doing radio interviews, I have it open right on the desk right beside me. And, you know, we have a guest today who can actually talk more about that. And that is Jim Lakely, who is the vice president and director of communications of the Heartland Institute. Jim grew up in Dayton and Pittsburgh and graduated from the University of Pittsburgh. Before joining Heartland in 2008, Jim spent 15 years in daily deadline journalism, including covering Capitol Hill and the White House for the Washington Times for five years. He also participated in two Oval Office interviews with President George W. Bush. That must have been cool. Jim has appeared on C-SPAN, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, and many other television and radio networks. He's been a reporter for various newspapers. And besides being the executive producer of Heartland's wonderful podcast, which I encourage people to look up, uh, Jim manages the planning and production of Heartland's major conferences, such as the International Conference on Climate Change and the America First Energy Conferences, which Jay and I are happy to have taken part in. The next Heartland Climate Conference is coming up in February in Orlando, Florida, and I'll include a link to the event when this program goes to podcast on Monday. So welcome to the show, Jim. Well, Tom, you know, it's such a it's such a pleasure to be uh, with two old friends. You know, you mentioned uh, uh, the podcast uh, in the tank podcast, which we do every Thursday live on our on our uh, YouTube page, uh, noon central time on Thursdays. And I'm the oldest man on that podcast. But now at the age of 52, I'm the kid around here in this podcast. (laughs) So I am very much looking forward to being schooled by uh, two uh, very old and good friends with all of your experience and wisdom. What a pleasure to be on your program. Well, I'm uh, uh, you're a lot younger than I thought. Uh, I I would have thought you were older. And it has been an honor for me uh, to have worked with Jim for a couple of decades while I was at the Heartland Institute, and I have learned so much from him. And it's interesting, this very morning, I did a program or wrote the beginning of a program on the corruption of journalism. I mean, Mm. who would have thought that journalism was corrupt like uh, politics today? Uh, But it it is, and that was a topic I was working on. But to have worked with Jim Lakely for many years, you found out everything that journalism was supposed to be and, uh, and, and can be again. I'm very optimistic that we can reach back and uh, have the, the journalist leaned on uh, the way we did when, when I was a kid in, in any case. But uh, everything I, be honest, and I'm not blowing smoke here, Jim, the most of everything I've learned about journalism I have uh, learned from you, and I'm glad it's still going uh, strong at the uh, the Heartland Institute. Now, how how strong a position does the Heartland Institute uh, take about fossil fuel today? How how strong do you believe 
it's important and it shouldn't go away. Uh, and, and how forthright are you guys willing uh, to talk about fossil fuels? We, we talk about fossil fuels all the time. I mean, it is uh, what they call, uh, you know, energy, they call it the master resource, right? Without uh, cheap and affordable energy, uh, your society can quickly devolve into poverty, chaos, uh, political unrest. And and it, I can't believe that at the age of 52, I'm living long enough and I will live long enough to perhaps see the, the dissolution of uh, civilization as we know it because of the crazy, uh, because of the madness, the, the, the so-called green energy future madness that we are seeing play out right now in real time. Um, it's starting to happen here in the United States, but it's very much already well underway in Europe. Uh, you know, the, 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 the key phrase right now is net zero, right? We're going to get to net zero carbon dioxide emissions, and that's going to save the planet. And we have to get to net zero because we have to stop the planet from warming anymore the 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of this century. If we if we warm up apparently 1.5 one degree Celsius by the end of the century, uh, you know we'll have fish swimming in our living rooms because the the sea levels will have risen so high. Uh, but look, it, it, it's a great net zero is a great slogan, but net zero simply cannot happen. It is a fantasy. These are the delusions of cultists, and it's going to get people killed. It really is. And I think starting this winter, unfortunately, as uh, we see energy crises, uh, you know, popping up already with with winter not even really upon us uh, in Europe right now. Yeah, for sure. In fact, you know, Jay is promoting a slogan that all life on Earth would perish without fossil fuel. And I guess, generally speaking, that's not really far off, is it? It's not far off. You can't you can't power a modern society on wind and solar and, uh, you know, well, basically on, on unicorn dust and poop or whatever you want, you know, you, 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 you can't, you cannot power a mo our modern society with the so-called green energy solutions. You can't power a very diminished society on wind and solar. You couldn't power the United States of half the population in 1940 with with that kind of energy output it just simply cannot happen and mm -hmm. so yes the heartland institute is very much uh in favor of us continuing to responsibly use fossil fuels um you know jay lair you you say i've had an influence on you uh i still often remember you one time we were sitting here in the uh at the heartland institute's building in the event space just chatting before an event started and you said jim how many years of natural gas do you think we have under our feet and I said, I don't know, uh, 250 years. Um, you said, no, no, I, let me rephrase that. When do you think we will run out of natural gas and oil under our feet here in the United States? And I said, uh, 250 years or so, maybe. He says, never. We will never run out of that, <laughs> of, of fossil fuels <laughs> in the United States. First of all, just from a pure economic sense, uh, eventually, you know, if it was to be the case that uh, oil and natural gas we're so we're so expensive and difficult to get out of the earth. Uh, it would not be economically viable to do so. And by then, hundreds of years in the future, we would have probably have developed technologies to produce energy that were more affordable. And so this idea and Jay uh, and, and Tom, both of you, and in fact, myself as well, remember the whole peak oil nonsense of the 1970s. 
that, uh, you know, this is it. This is the best it's ever going to be. Uh, while we were waiting in line for gas shortages during Jimmy Carter's administration, that was peak oil. We were done. Uh, <laughs> of course, that's all nonsense. All of this is nonsense. And it's, uh, you know, so yes, fossil fuels are necessary and people will perish and die because of this, this madness. It's a delusion. This is a cult and they're taking us all in with them. I, you know, I, I, I'm not willingly going into this climate cult. Neither are you guys, but we're being dragged into the cult anyway. It's it's uh, it's kind of frightening when you think of it that way. You know, Jim, as a communications guy, the language that's used, the green energy, so-called carbon mm. pollution, that must really drive you crazy eh? because that's like right out of 1984's Newspeak. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When they when they say, uh, you know, and we try to actually be very careful at the Heartland Institute to always use the the, the words, the, the proper term, which we were talking about the emission of carbon dioxide, uh, not carbon emissions. And so, but but yes, the left and our corrupt media have, uh, and academia too, have shaped the language to make people think that carbon dioxide is a pollutant. Carbon mm -hmm. dioxide is not a pollutant. You know, people think carbon pollution, they think soot coming out of a, out of a coal plant, which is actual pollution and yeah. which we have, uh, we have measures that we take to, to make that as clean as possible. But uh, yeah, this this green energy isn't green at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just looking today. Uh, I actually Googled it. I, I did a little research. I wanted to know uh, how much copper we would need in order to make all of the electric uh, car batteries that that uh, that people want to put us in. And to to kind of sum it up, we don't have enough copper in the world to do it. Um, it makes me think, I don't know, I'm a bit cynical. It makes me think uh, these these global elites and leaders who are pushing us toward a green energy future, so-called green energy future, don't actually want us to have our own cars. I don't know. If you make them so expensive and you and there's not enough materials to even make them for everybody, you couldn't replace every uh, internal combustion engine automobile in the United States with electric vehicle. We don't have the materials. And it takes 500,000 pounds of earth dug up out of the earth, you know, ore to get the cobalt, to get the copper, to get all of the minerals you need to make a battery. That's 250 tons of earth ripped up to make one car battery for an electric vehicle that will last, I don't know, maybe 10 years before that, before it starts well, getting so bad yeah. that, that, that you can't use it anymore. This is insane. I'm waiting and waiting for well, the American Jim people and people around the world to wake up. This is not Possible. Okay. And if we had a responsible but, media, they would be actually reporting the truth about this right. stuff. Well, they, they are going to wake up. And you really said a mouthful a few sentences back that these people don't want us to have our own cars. They really want to eliminate uh, public transportation. So they push us uh, in a direction that is impossible. Right. Uh, electric cars are impossible because there isn't enough copper. There isn't enough cobalt. There isn't enough anything to put everybody into an electric car. So part of their uh, political motivation really is to uh, eliminate personal uh, travel, but right. it, it isn't going to happen. And I go back further than everybody here. <laughs> you may have heard me talk, but that idea of peak oil that was instituted in 1957 by a U.S. Geological Survey petroleum geologist by the name of M. M. King Hubbard. He was a, a mentor of mine, quite a bit older than I. And we traveled around to conferences and 
Uh, I was more or less with him when he coined that idea of, of peak oil. And while he was a very good engineer, he had no concept of, of human nature or sociology. And he just felt that, uh, well, we just developed what we could develop and, and that would be it. We wouldn't come up with new technologies or new ways of mining and, and location. And of course he was uh, older and smarter and a bigger reputation than I. And uh, I didn't get anywhere during his lifetime of pointing out that he was wrong, but I knew he was wrong. And as soon as, well, I guess as soon as he passed away and I was not uh, nervous about tramping on his, uh, his grave, I made it clear that uh, mankind was always available to find new technologies, mm -hmm. new sources of materials, and that we would really never run out of anything. We right. would just find new uh, technical, uh, technological ways of economically uh, finding things. And, and that really uh, was the case. Now, just very recently, as Tom pointed out, uh, we came up with this slogan. Uh, he credited me, but it was a few of uh, people, a fellow by the name of Den Black and uh, Tom Harris, uh, came up with a, a slogan that we thought might actually sell and, and how to phrase uh, uh, facts so that they grab your brain without argument is, is not an easy thing to do. But I think that we did. And I have vowed to never write anything or give any lecture without saying the following. The elimination of fossil fuel is a sure path to the end of civilization, uh, a sure path to eliminating life on Earth. It's that simple. Now, those words have to grab you. Mm. you. You just can't walk away from it and say, now, come on. I mean, sure, there are people that want to do away with fossil fuels. What does that have to do with do, doing away with our lives on Earth? It has everything to do with it. And the average child learned in elementary school that you needed carbon dioxide to uh, feed all plant life. You need plant life to feed all animal life. You need animal and plant life to feed human life. And when you don't have that anymore, life will be over. Now, I've been writing for some years that that can't happen. Uh, in net zero can't happen. There is a, a, a tipping point where the public is not going to accept uh, the elimination of, of life on Earth. They're not going to accept a whole new standard of living. So all of these scary stories cannot happen, will not happen, but the sooner the public wakes up to it, the sooner they won't make horrendous mistakes in, in the future of life on earth. So that's what we're, we're, uh, we're battling. And uh, the more we can get that phrase across, I think the more chance we will have it uh, at stopping it. The enemy doesn't care. Uh, they, they don't mind bringing all life on earth to its knees in terms of a standard of living, uh, bringing all life on its knees uh, in, in terms of 
automobiles, uh, in, in terms of electric power, uh, they don't care. And sadly, really behind their motivations have nothing to do with electric power, or electric cars. They really want to institute socialism uh, throughout the world. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's all politically uh, motivated. And socialism cannot maintain the standard of living that we have seen in the world for the last 50 years. And eventually, everybody will suffer. So how far we'll go with the elimination of fossil fuels with it with net zero is a question of how much suffering the public is willing to undergo. Mm-hmm. And uh, sadly, that's a lot more than I would have thought. Uh, I was holding out hope that in Europe, uh, this coming winter, and even in the past winter, we will would see suffering with the unavailable of, of, of fossil fuels to uh, heat our homes and uh, cool them in the, in the summer, and people would wake up. And what I found out was the suffering wasn't enough. It, it just wasn't enough. So they've allowed throughout Europe the cost of electricity to triple compared to the United States and, uh, and, and live with it. Well, there's still a point out there where the suffering uh, will be enough and uh, whether that's this winter or next winter, but I've always looked to uh, winter in Europe as a, uh, a turning point. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a question for Jim. You know, you're very familiar with media, of course, and the way they spin things, et cetera. But, you know, what I find is that when they bring up these issues like the high cost of electricity or the high cost of food, they invariably point to things like, oh, it's the Ukrainian war or, oh, it's Putin or it's something else. They don't want to actually tell you, well, that's because you have a war on fossil fuels. So it's raising the prices of shipping. You have breakdowns in the supply chain. They just don't want to say what's true. Now, my question to you, Jim, is do the media know what Jay said? Or are they just totally ignorant of the real cause of the huge prices rises? Uh, you know, I like to think that they're not that stupid, that, you know, these are not stupid people. I mean, when I was in, you know, uh, in, in the White House press corps uh, back in the early 2000s, you know, I had lots of friends. I mean, I was one of the few people not on the left that was covering the president of the United States in Congress. And, you know, we'd have uh, we'd go out for drinks and and, you know, it's fine. You respected each other and you just did your did your job. And that was good. Um, I think I would have a very difficult time being a journalist in Washington, D.C. today because it is completely dominated, not by classical liberals uh, people who kind of leaned left in college or something and, uh, and found their way into journalism, but hardcore Marxist leftists. They, they, these, these reporters, our media, our, our corrupt corporate media today, see themselves as a vital part of the revolution. Um, they, they, they have been brought up, they're now two generations now, brought up to not think of the United States as an exceptional country, but as a country that has done a lot of bad to the world. If you listen to any of the talks going on at COP27 in Egypt uh, these last few weeks, uh, it was basically the theme of it was that 
our prosperity has caused the misery of the poor people around the world, which of course is wrong. Uh, what we need is more Americas. We need more capitalist systems with freedom and prosperity. That's how you get out of poverty. But instead, uh, they say, well, we'll just pay off all of these poor countries with uh, the riches of the West. Um, the, the, the West is not going to be very rich for very long. If, yeah, if, if energy is three times uh, what it was just last year. Fellas, do you remember the good old days when uh, America was energy independent about 24 months ago? Remember that? Remember that? Wasn't that great? Way right? back then, way back 24 months ago when, when the United States was energy independent. And we have a president and the media just goes along with it. We have a president that berates the so-called big oil for not drilling enough while he is doing everything he can to destroy their industry on a timeline of about five years. So get in there, get that oil so that uh, people don't pay so much at the pump. But uh, by the way, we're also going to shut you down uh, in about five years. Uh, um, hey, hey, dummy, that's a that's a billions of dollars of investment necessary to go out there and find the oil and natural gas and bring it out of the earth and transport it to where it can be used by human beings. And you want us to do that, yet you're going to put us out of business at the mm -hmm. same time. This is, and I cannot believe that even leftist reporters in Washington, the corrupt reporters in Washington, D.C., don't understand the disconnect between that. They don't care. They're pushing a leftist, and you said it, Jay, Marxist agenda. They see themselves as the propaganda arm of the revolution. We need to change the world, guys. We need to yeah. change the world. And we can't just keep burning uh, fossil fuels because we're going to boil the planet. We're going to raise the seas. And we can't. We, and people can't have their own cars anymore. You need to move into the city and live in a condo and take public transit everywhere. And Jay, you know, you kept, you said earlier, um, I, I resisted the urge to interrupt, but you, you said that uh, you keep waiting for people to wake up and you think, uh, you know, they'll finally realize that this is not the way to go and we need to reverse course. That is assuming that the people will have a choice. Uh, as you kept going along about along that line, having faith in the people of Europe or the people of America to wake up and to uh, you know force a course correction in in, a, in the United States and in Europe, I was thinking to myself, you know, the Bolsheviks were a small minority in in Russia. Yes, uh, you know there were lots of peasants and the and the country was suffering under the ruling the ruling of the Tsar, but it wasn't like there was a huge groundswell of support for the Bolsheviks. They were elite, college educated. They were the most educated people in their society. And they decided to, to impose a Marxist system on their, on their society after they overthrew uh, the czar. The people didn't want that. The people in power wanted that. The people who seized power. And our global elites today are not all that much different than them. They hasn't come down to shooting yet, but um, I think it's it might be too late. People, it's not going to be a, a matter of whether people accept it or not. They will not have a choice because force is coming to enforce all of these things. Because if you don't want to, if 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 you think you can't live because your energy prices to heat your home are four times what they were just one year ago, too bad. Suck it up. Find a way to survive. They're burning wood in Germany right now. Wood, yeah. like they're in the 16th century. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I want to believe you, Jay. I want to have faith that we can peacefully turn this ship around away from disaster. Uh, I have not seen hardly any indication that that is in our near future, let alone long term future. But I'm always a cynic. 
Yeah, we got to go for a break now. This has been Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris interviewing Jim Lakely, Vice President and Director of Communications of the Heartland Institute. And Jim, when we get back, we're going to have to talk about what can people do about this? Because <laughs> there are things we can do. So we'll be right back after the Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Let the silent voices be heard. It was the rallying call that started it all. It's a wide spectrum of programming, from world and political news to societal and cultural stories. Six amazing years of news blogs, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan a plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure, a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com So we're back with Jim Lakely, the Vice President and Director of Communications of the Heartland Institute at heartland.org. I encourage everybody to look it up. They're doing wonderful work. So because we have the Director of Communications online, obviously a good question for him is, what can the average person do about this descent into green hell, as Steve Molloy called it? What, what do you think people can do? Yeah, well, I, I think step one is to get yourself educated. And uh, I'll apologize to you guys and your listeners for the raising of my voice often in that first <laughs> segment that, that we had. Fun. I tend to get a little animated about this stuff. Uh, and so as a communications expert, I do not recommend yelling at your friends <laughs> about the truth about climate and energy. Uh, you could try to be a little bit more persuasive and pleasant like Tom Harris. Uh, but 
I think that the first step is education. You have to, uh, there's a lot of, to be honest, a lot of mindless drones out there. They believe everything they've been told by the media uh, and they are almost impervious to logic. I mean, they've been told that uh, because we drive SUVs, the polar bears are going extinct. Um, we're, we're threatening them. That's not true, as, as you guys know very well and have talked about on your program, I'm sure several times. The uh, polar bear population is actually growing. Uh, they're told by their media that the sea levels are rising at an alarming rate. The truth, the data, which you can get from the government from an objective source, uh, shows that uh, sea level rise is not actually accelerating at all. It's been going at about the same pace it's been going on for uh, several hundred years. A great place where you can get this information is uh, a few places that I'm going to plug the Heartland Institute for. Uh, we have two websites. One is called Climate at a Glance, and you can go there and learn about all of these so-called hot button issues on the topic, uh, no pun intended, uh, that you can get the real facts about what's going on. And we link to data that, that that proves that the climate calamity that they keep talking about is not happening and will likely not happen uh, because the earth can, tends to handle these, these sorts of things very well. We have, a, we have a chapter on polar bears. We have a chapter on U.S. wildfires, which they say keep getting bigger, more intense and more dangerous because uh, of global warming. Ah, the data shows that's actually not true. Heat waves. We must be having more heat waves now, right? Than we did in the past. Incorrect. And uh, <laughs> if you could actually, you could put the stuff to memory that it was, uh, war we had warmer temperatures in the 1930s than we do today. Uh, ocean acidification. Boy, does that sound, does that sound scary? Uh, the fish are probably going to dissolve. Uh, in, in their, their very flesh will dissolve in, in an acidification of the ocean. Uh, that's kind of a misnomer, but uh, no, the ocean uh, is not dangerously getting more acidic. Uh, and things like the, the polar ice caps. Um, most people don't know that the Antarctic ice has been growing. While the uh, uh, Arctic ice cap, which has gone down, uh, uh, you know, but not outside the normal range that is that we've been able to observe only since the 1970s. We've only had satellites up there to actually get a good measure of the polar ice cap on the North Pole uh, for about 50 years. And it's, you know, we still have this range where where it's not an alarming thing. So uh, climateataglance.com, you can go there and see that information. And we also have another website called climaterealism.com. Uh, that is a website in which uh, Heartland's climate team here, we're constantly monitoring the news and seeing, well, the lies every day, uh, the exaggerations and the lies about what's actually happening to our climate. And we go there and we counter those lies with facts and data and research that you can see it for yourself. So the, the, the key to turning this around, I think, is educating yourself um, uh, on what's really happening to the climate. Uh, so that one, you're not scared, you don't believe the hype, uh, and that maybe you might be able to snap a few of your friends out of the climate cult. Uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah. And just a couple of points. Yeah. So we'll include those links uh, under the podcast when it goes online on Monday, if people actually didn't get them written down. And um, so it sounds like, Jim, when you call them lies, I, I think that actually is the right term, because if these people are corrupt, and in fact, they know that there's only been a 1.2 degree rise in average global temperature over the last 140 years, which is like trivial. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, Linsen, Richard Linsen says, if it weren't for climatologists and meteorologists, we'd never feel it in our lifetime. So the reporters are not stupid. So they are lying. They are actually saying things that they know are ridiculous because they're supporting an agenda. And yeah, I think exactly. that's really important for people to know. 
Absolutely right. Yeah, I, and look, the 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 global ruling elite, and you know that's 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 not crazy conspiracy stuff, guys. All right, you know there is something called the World Economic Forum. It exists. Klaus Schwab, who was elected by nobody, heads it, and he brags about putting his disciples from the World Economic Forum into positions of power, including uh, Tom, I'm sorry to say, uh, your prime minister, uh, Trudeau, yeah. is one of his disciples that is in power uh, in your uh, benighted country there. So uh, yeah, good luck. Sure. <laughs> and our deputy prime minister, Krista Freeland, is also a real affectionado of the WEF. That's right. And so what, what they want, see, the, these global elites that are in power uh, in Europe and increasingly, unfortunately, here in the Western Hemisphere, uh, they crave control. They don't like your freedom. If you're free to do what you like, you cannot be controlled. Uh, they have a vision of how the earth should be, of how society should be run, and you are in the way. And the fastest, clearest way for them to control you, other than maybe uh, you know a pandemic that comes along once in a while, is to tell you that everything you do in your life is destroying the planet. And to save us all, you must do what you're told. You must do what we tell you to do. You must live a different life now. It's the only way we're all going to survive. And when you've indoctrinated two, three generations of young people in Europe, especially in the United States, to believe these things, uh, it, it becomes easier and easier for them. This is their opportunity. They've been waiting for this, guys, for decades. And now it's all in place. And now yeah. the control is starting and it's getting it's going to be ramping up. And so and people are taking it because they really, truly believe they are part of the cult. They believe that your freedom is endangering the very survival of our species. It mm -hmm. is not. The lack of freedom is going to actually really endanger your physical being <laughs> because yeah. without freedom comes totalitarianism and with totalitarianism comes death every wow. single time. With that note, with, yeah, isn't that nice? Let's move to something a bit lighter. <laughs> I know you and Jay are both football fans, and I think Jay had some questions about the NFL. <laughs> well, I was I was hoping that uh, James Taylor would be on. I know he's a big uh, fan from uh, uh, South Florida, and I kind of uh, like to make an analogy between uh, the National Football League and the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now and Tom Brady considering the greatest of all football players and, uh, and quarterbacks. And I look at what's going on right now as a potential for optimism because uh, Brady has been on top forever and uh, yet now he's kind of falling on hard times, but certainly not uh, last uh, Monday night, uh, here was a fellow that moved teams, took the uh, Super Bowl with him, and uh, won and uh, kept on going and lost the luster, so to speak. And everybody thought, oh, he's packing up and going away and uh, not going to be useful anymore. Uh, that has not uh, been the case. And so it, it gives me uh, hope that and eventually will make a comeback. And I will look at Brady as a, a, a comeback type person that if he can hang in there and make a comeback, the population of the United States can make a comeback in, in regard to uh, scientific methods. For those of our listeners who are not Monday night football fans, 
just the first of this week, we saw uh, Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers fall behind by 13 points early in the game with three minutes and three seconds left. 13 points, three minutes and 13 seconds left and win the game. Three minutes and 13 seconds. That gives me pause. That gives me hope that the hole need never be too deep to dig out of. And I was at the point where saying, oh, Brady is washed up. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are washed up to a certain extent. The National Football League was washed up. And then if you sat on the edge of your chair for three minutes and three seconds, you watch them come out ahead. It gives me the hope that no matter how deep the hole appears to be with the lies of uh, climate change, the lies of global warming, the lies told nonstop by the Marxists throughout the world, we can and we will fight back. Now, I have other information to support this that most people could uh, view, but, but do not. Uh, it's only four weeks ago I traveled to New Orleans and I went in the World War II Museum in New Orleans and the, the museum was set out in such a way as you walk through different parts of the museum, you walk through the Japanese war, you walk through the German war, you walk through the Italian war, you walk through the North Atlantic war. There was no way we could win this war. No way. It was lost. We won the war against all odds. We built the, the, the boats, the ships, we built the the airplanes, we built the equipment, and we came back from desolation to win that war. So I don't care how deep we think people think we are right now against the Marxist socialists that are trying to destroy our economy. We can come back. We will come back. There isn't any question about it. Our civilization is not going to end as a, a result of these terrible uh, Marxist liars who want to take our freedom away. We, we're going to come back. So the most important thing there is you never give up hope. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, there was a song I would hear, never give up, never give up. And that's where we're at now. I mean, all it takes for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Right. And that's what we must not do. Everybody yeah. can do a little bit uh, to move us along to victory rather than failure. And you know, it's interesting that you used war as an analogy and football as an analogy. I think it's quite appropriate because I knew a fellow who was a Lancaster bomber pilot over Germany during World War II. And he said they knew they were not over the target if they came back and their airplane didn't have lots of bullet holes in it, you know, they knew they were over the target when they got lots of flack because of course the Germans wouldn't waste ammunition if they were bombing a cow pasture. So Jim, you know, with Heartland being so prominent in the climate wars, what kind of feedback are you getting? Are you getting death threats and, you know, people trying to sue you out of existence? Like you surely you've got some pushback. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're among the most hated organizations in the world uh, by the environmental left 
and which also includes the media too. It's uh, you won't find a whole lot of positive uh, <laughs> coverage of the Artlet Institute in your local neighborhood network news program. Uh, I'll tell you that. <laughs> or, or Wikipedia. <laughs> or Oh my gosh, don't even look at the Wikipedia page. Uh, that is full of lies. And it's it's all rigged uh, so that you can't fix it. Uh, the truth doesn't matter. The narrative matters. Uh, Jay, I think that was a very valiant attempt to cheer me up. Uh, I have to tell you that it didn't work. <laughs> uh, that uh, it, it is inspiring. What the United States did to save civilization in World War II is is certainly amazing, inspiring, and something every American should be proud of. But I think you, we are the French resistance in in France. We are not the United States. Those of us, and I mean those, I mean that as climate realists, people who know what's going on, uh, and we know what happened to the French resistance. Uh, they were killed or went underground or ended up, you know, colluding with the enemy. So uh, none of us will do that. But uh, it's hard not to it's hard not to see, you know, that that we're getting run over here. And, uh, you know, look, I, I part of that is in jest. But I don't want to I don't want to end this podcast on such a negative note, because I think the work that the Heart Institute does obviously has had great positive impact and, and frankly, kept a lot of the bad things that are happening now from happening faster or over many years ago. Uh, you know, you hinted to it, Tom, uh, when you're, you're you're getting flack, you're over the target. Uh, the Heartland Institute is a small organization and we are extremely powerful. You know how well you're doing by how worried some of the most powerful institutions in the world get just by the mention of your name. They yeah. really do think that they would have already achieved their green energy utopia by now if it was not for the Heartland Institute getting in the way and the International Climate Science Coalition, Tom Harris, also getting in the way. And so, you know, we are we are standing in the way of these global control freaks who are either, if they believe in the climate cult, they are morons. Uh, I don't think they're morons. I think they're exploiting the climate cult that is that has been uh, you know, perpetuated now for at least three decades in order to seize power. And you and I, Jay Lair, you and I, Tom Harris, and thousands of people that are in this movement of climate realism are in the way. And okay, Jay, I've now convinced myself by channeling you, <laughs> I have hope we will eventually win. Yeah, I, I really encourage people to go to heartland.org and you can get really up to date on this. One thing you did recently, Jim, is you did sort of a survey of scientists, which mm. showed that the 97% of scientists think that we're causing dangerous climate change, that that really isn't true. Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, I'm sure you guys have talked about the phoniness of that 97% uh, supposed consensus on climate change very often on this podcast. But we decided to survey uh, scientists who actually work in the field of climate. So there weren't any sociologists in there or, you know, somebody who has a doctorate in, in, in gym class or something. But these are people who are biologists, geologists, climatologists, meteorologists. And uh, we asked them, if they think that climate change is going to have a, uh, you know, a, a negative effect on the life of everybody alive today, an extremely negative effect on the people alive today, you know, or pretty much do nothing or maybe have a positive effect uh, of global warming, that is, over the next century. And it was not 97% who said that it was going to have a negative effect on the earth. It was 57%. Mm. So, so even... So it's almost 50-50. Yeah, almost 50-50. And, and actually, what's what's interesting, and this goes back to another point I made, the younger a scientist happened to be, the more extreme they were in their climate alarmist views. So that mm -hmm. that is proof for the other side 
that their indoctrination is working. But the more experience a scientist had in his field, the less worried he was about, you know, the effects of global warming in the next uh, in the next century. So, you know, that that was interesting. So it's not 97%. That's yet another myth. Uh, you know, we we are winning. And, and one of the questions that I was thinking about we, we might hit on today was uh, when, when voters are asked what issues are most important to them, climate yeah, change absolutely. always finishes at the bottom, always, no matter what kind of propaganda they're getting. And it is relentless when it comes to what's important to them for their vote. Climate change is last always yeah. uh, yet, yet still these, they push on these, these climate controllists uh, and those global elites push on because it's, yeah. it's, it's how they got their foothold and they're not going to stop. Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting because the United Nations ran a poll called My World. I think it was in 2015 and a few years afterwards. And after a total of over nine million people had voted from all over the world, climate change came dead last of the roughly 17 issues that they had. Now, this was despite the fact that the UN put it first in the list for people to choose. Okay, it wasn't a random sort of switching around the way a, pro a proper poll should be. They had it number one as the most important. And yet the public, except for countries like Denmark, uh, you know, the, especially developing countries, they put climate change rock bottom. They put mm. education, they put clean drinking water, security, things like that, way above it. And so you know what the UN did? They removed the poll from the internet. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Fortunately, I got screen captures before they removed it. Yeah. But, yeah, the world doesn't agree with them. <laughs> well, yeah. Wow. What a shock. They tried to rig the poll, still failed, and then then tried to, you know, put it down the memory hole. Uh, yeah. but thank God that you you got but, a, you got a picture of that. I mean, the people in the developing world, that that's actually what's kind of evil about all of this, is that it's the people in the developing world who want natural gas power plants in their country so that they can start growing wealth and raising all of their people out of poverty. And the Western elites are denying them that. They're trying yeah. to make them build a modern economy on solar panels and wind farms. And uh, right. it's, it's not going to work. They're going to continue uh, to be poor. Before we end this show, I want to introduce two words to our audience and never have them forget it and, and to rehearse those words over and over again. Perhaps not before this have they ever put these two words together in regard to their future. And the words are human extinction. The elimination of fossil fuel is a sure path to human extinction because that's the only direction we can end up with. It's the end of human life on Earth with human extinction if we continue on the path to eliminate fossil fuels. I believe those two words are kind of riveting. You, you hear them and you can't let them go. What, what do you mean where life on earth is going to end? That's what we mean. Mm -hmm. Without carbon dioxide to support plant life, without carbon dioxide to support animal life, human life, life ends. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to let that happen. Yeah, it's interesting, Jay. You know, Patrick Moore, who works with us in ICSC Canada, he draws a graph showing carbon dioxide dropping over the millions of years. And he says, had we not released CO2 
from the lithosphere, you know, about bur burning fossil fuels, that we would in fact see eventually a natural end to life on earth because it would get below the 150 parts per million at some point in the not too distant future where plants start to die. And he points out, others point out that, you know, in the last glacial period, we got down to 180 parts per million, which was dangerously close to the point at which life starts to die. So in support of what you're saying, Patrick is saying, yes, we saved life on earth. So that, you know, what do you think of that, Jim? Is that too far out? <laughs> well, I mean, I, look, I'm supposed to be the pessimist on this podcast and Jay, Jay talking about mass human extinction. It's got to steal a little bit of my game here. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, in fact, Patrick Moore is going to be at the Harlan Institute's 15th International Conference on Climate Change, which is February 23rd through the 25th in Orlando, Florida. You can find out information at heartland.org. Uh, Patrick Moore is a founding member of Greenpeace. He is one of the best climate truth communicators I have ever seen. And I have seen a million of them with all these conferences we're doing. And yeah, he gave a presentation on how close we came to, to like a CO2 negative critical uh, not too long ago. And that uh, he said, I, he still says to this day, we're still uh, CO2 short. We should be, I think we're, what are we like 430 parts per million or so yeah. right now yeah. that uh, we could be 500, 600, a thousand, and then you would start to breathe easier. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently most of the plants in our ecosystem evolved at a time when CO2 was much higher. And we know that must be the case because they pump CO2 into greenhouses. And you remember Craig Itso, who's done lots of work yep. with CO2science.org in Arizona, I mean, he shows that we have huge increase in crop productivity, even NASA. You know, I was surprised the other day, NASA, and I'll put a link to this under the podcast, have a video showing greening of the earth. And they even say specifically because of our burning of fossil fuels. So I always find it obvious that when they call it green energy, because it has low fossil fuels, like that's the exact opposite. <laughs> we want to have more CO2 for more green. So, I mean, do you think that that's part of the propaganda is trying to tell us that CO2 increase causes non-green energy? Like, huh? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a great point. It's, that's something a lot of people don't think about. The monopolization of communications through our corrupt corporate media doesn't ever mention that stuff. Uh, they don't talk yeah. about actual historic weather patterns. I mean, that's why we have the, the website climaterealism.com so that we can try to correct those, those errors and omissions in the, in the mainstream media when they lie and say that it's never been warmer or, uh, you know, or, or there's too much extreme weather. Even Jay's dogs don't like it. No. <laughs> hey, those dogs Sorry. know more about climate change than media. Or at least they're more honest. They're <laughs> Sorry dogs. about that. My dogs are told that I'm on the air and they're not to make any noise. But isn't that weird? Sometimes they don't obey me. But <laughs> what, what kind of dogs do you have, Jay? Well, two rescue dogs, 75-pound, large, loving animals, uh, no particular breed, but they're wonderful. But they've uh, yet to become socialized as well as I would like to know when I'm on the air, not to make any noise, but uh, well, maybe that's they were, okay. Maybe they were speaking out in agreement. <laughs> Dog well, I, I, I would like to think so. Well, uh, Tom, I think we're approaching the end of the show. And, yeah, we actually uh, have another three and three minutes to go. Oh, okay. Well, then I want to just uh, reiterate uh, what we're doing in Florida, in Orlando, the 23rd of February, uh, I will be on the program there. Tom, are they going to let you out of Canada to go to that meeting in Orlando? 
Well, the regulations that the Biden administration have say that if you're not injected, you can't come into the United States. Of course, unless you're an illegal just walking across the Mexican border. So I can't come in. And that was supposed to expire in November, but they extended it to January. So the hope is that in the January time, they'll finally follow the advice of their own CDC. Because you remember the CDC said that doctors should treat unvaccinated and vaccinated people as equally contagious. So there's no reason to keep us out. So hopefully they'll follow that advice and they'll allow us in. It's interesting, the United States now is the only country in North America that won't let you come in unless you're injected. So I've got my fingers crossed because I'd love to go and <laughs> and present at that massive conference. We'll include a link actually to the conference under the podcast when it goes up on Monday. And tell me, Jim, can people watch live on the internet if they can't go to Orlando? Yes, absolutely. We'll be live streaming uh, the entire conference, uh, sunrise to sundown, at the Heartland Institute's YouTube channel. That's just youtube.com slash Heartland Institute. And mm-hmm. uh, you can find our, our YouTube channel there. Or you can go to heartland.org uh, on February 23rd to the 25th, and you'll find a link to watch uh, the whole thing. It'll be great. And so, uh, you know, I'll send a, a rescue team up there to get you out of the gulag if necessary, Tom. We, I can't imagine having a, uh, awesome. a co- climate conference without you. Yeah. <laughs> and after the conference is over, will there be a permanent record on the Internet? Yes. All of the uh, all of the live streams uh, instantly and automatically archive. And then when we get back uh, to our offices here in northern Illinois, we will break each one of those presentations out separately so that people can consume them uh, at their leisure. Wow, that's wonderful. And so people can get in and say, oh, what did, uh, you know, Jim Lakely say? What did Will Happer say? You know, because that's that's really wonderful. Yeah. And, oh. and we actually have a live chat going on during the broadcast, too, so wow. that people and that's actually been a lot of fun for a lot of uh, a lot of climate fans is that they can go in there with uh, mostly like minded people and uh, talk about what they're watching on on the screen. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And one attraction, of course, is going to Orlando in February. I mean, for most of us, that's like a dream. So that's great. So this has been a wonderful interview with you, Jim. And we really promote the Heartland Institute. As I said, I think you guys are doing the most important work in the world. So once again, our guest today was Jim Lakely, the Vice President and Director of the Heartland Institute. So this is Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story. Thank you.